This is Truth Encounter, and as Dave Wurtson continues our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we find that the Apostle Paul was addressing a church that was definitely gifted by the Holy Spirit. It was the first century, and anyone who accepts the testimony of Scripture has to accept that supernatural, powerful manifestations of the Spirit of God were evidenced in the first Corinthian church. But in the midst of the frenzied ecstasy, the Apostle Paul called for a union of mind and emotion, of reason and intuition, of learning to keep your head and your heart joined to one another. As we join Dave today, see if you can identify with some of what Dave and his wife Mary have experienced as a radio is in one ear, the piano in another, and the background is filled with the beginning of guitar music. Let's see how we can help our times of gathered worship to be times of mutual edification and not bitter argument or emotional chaos. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. What is the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying, let's take just musical instruments, for example. Even with the lifeless sound, in other words, a flute or a harp isn't living. We're just talking about a thing, an object. We're talking about sounds. But he's saying, even with music, unless there's some distinctions in the notes, unless there's some pattern that can be followed, it just sounds like noise. And Paul is saying that that doesn't lift you up. How many of you are bothered by unintelligible noise? Have any of you have ever been in a situation where you get a lot of noise going all at once? You know, the TV's going, the kids are practicing the piano, the little guys are yelling, you know, you've got a horn going in the back room, and it's all going all at once, and it just comes across as a pulsating nothing. Now, parents, before you jump too quickly on the kids, I play the guitar, and a lot of what you think is noise really is intelligible, very intricate playing. It sounds like noise to you, but try it. Try to go all over the neck of the guitar about 100 miles an hour and making sure you get all the right strings, and you'll find out that it's not just noise. So I think we need to be careful if I wanted to, I could really use this text, I think, illegitimately. I could come down and say, you know, boy, this music is so loud and it's all unintelligible and, and that. We need to be careful about that. But we do need to recognize, I do want to point out a, a, something that's very important in what Paul is saying. And I would say this to the young people and the adults. The Apostle Paul is saying, be careful of things that just appear to your, appeal to your emotions. Be careful of just losing yourself in subjective experience because you're not just emotions, you're also a mind. And what he's saying here, even in the case of music, it doesn't really build us up unless there's some understanding. And what I want to challenge our young people to do and our adults is that I want you to think about what music is doing to you. And many times we're being torn down because we have severe melancholy all day long. 
You see, sometimes when you're going through your teenage years and things start to seem topsy-turvy and your life is changing so much physically and the challenges seem so great and there's so many changes coming all at once, there's a deep melancholy or depression that can come over your life. And music can enter into that and can make it even bottom worse. You see, if you listen to screams all day long, you'll be traumatized. In other words, if I go, there's a fire in here, there's a fire in here, watch out, get out of here, we got to get out of here quick. Now, there's nothing wrong with what I just did, morally. Just woke you all up. <laughs> there's nothing morally with what I just did. If there really was a fire, it would be very appropriate. But it would not strengthen you if I yelled like that for 40 minutes. In fact, it would tear your emotions to smithereens. And Paul is saying that even music needs to have a wholeness in it. It needs to have a union of intellect, emotion, and will all in praise to the Lord, even the case of lifeless sounds. I think it's very important to get by some of the debates that we often have and begin to think ourselves, what is this doing to me? What is it doing to my personality? Is it building me? Is it helping me? Or is it tearing me down? And we need to all honestly ask ourselves that, okay? Then he uses the case of a trumpet. And he says when they, in the ancient world they used the trumpet for the battle cry. And this is a very vivid illustration. Can you imagine going into war and the stupid guy that plays the trumpet, you know, he's supposed to sound the retreat, but he blows it and he blows the thing for charge. And so your officers are trying to tell you, you know, that you're supposed to retreat and the stupid trumpeter that's given the signal yells charge, you know, and you go blasting right into the guns. You see, there, it, there could be great devastation. Even with the case of a trumpet, it needs to communicate a message. It needs to communicate it's time to get up. It's time to eat meals. When I was in high school, I had to play the horn 10 minutes before every meal. And there was a horn to get people up. There was a horn to tell them it was 10 minutes to lunch. There was another horn that told them it was, you know, right now we're going to eat. And then we finished the day, you know, with tats. And finally, about my junior year, they got it all together and realized it would be much better rather than going through the agony wondering whether David or one of the other trumpeters would blow a clear note at 6.30 in the morning. We finally put it all on tape, and then all you had to do was go down and push a button. But it illustrates that idea, even with a horn, the message needs to be communicable, intelligible. People need to understand. Paul is saying, if you all speak in tongues when we gather together, and everybody's sitting there speaking a language that only they understand, well, which they don't even understand, but it's worship of the Lord, which it was. He's saying if we all do that, it'll be just like speaking into the air. It's not going to accomplish our goal of building up God's family. Then he uses a, uh, an illustration which is very close to the specific point he was trying to illustrate. He says, in the world, there's all different kinds of languages. Look at it if you look at uh, verse 10. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If I then do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. 
so it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. Now here Paul is using the example of a language. How many of you have ever traveled overseas? Or how many of you have ever been in a room with everybody else speaking a different language that you didn't understand it at all? Okay, how did you feel? The first time I went to Israel, I would sit in the front of the bus and the tour, the tour leaders, the Israelis, could speak perfect English, but when they talked among one another, they spoke in Hebrew. And the first time I went over there, I never heard Hebrew spoken orally. I'd, I'd read it a lot in the text, and I knew the grammar, but I never heard it orally. And that's a totally different skill to read a text and hear a language. It's totally different. I couldn't even guess what the subject was. You know how I felt? I've shared with you in the past a little bit how I felt. I remember sitting there going, they're trying to get us. They're angry at us. How many of you have ever had that experience when somebody was speaking a foreign language you didn't understand, you concluded they were talking about you, and what they were talking about you wasn't very good, and they were angry at you? Now, a lot of the breakdown between people comes from that. In fact, Paul used a very strong word that says, if you're in a situation where everyone's speaking a language you don't understand, you'll seem like a barbarian to them, and they'll seem like barbarians to you. And what we have is a total fracturing of people. We have a total tearing down of relationships. And that's just the opposite from what Paul wants in the church. And I would relate it. I think we need to be very, very careful. It's been driven home to me, you know, just in listening to different people. I think a lot of times in the church, we are speaking an unintelligible language. I think many times we think we're communicating meaning. But what we're really using is just jargon words, things that we understand well because we're part of the in-group. But people that come in from the outside don't really understand. And I think the Lord has, has taught me a great deal just to listen to unbelievers. I think one of the greatest privileges that a, that a pastor can have is for an unbelieving individual just to open up and say, this is what I felt like when you were talking. These are my reactions. Boy, that gives me insight to what's really happening. And I think that Paul's method, I think sometimes we're not speaking a foreign language, but we, might as well, we may as well be. Because we're not listening and really getting into one another's lives so that we understand what one another are saying. And Paul is saying that when we gather together, it's so important that we ask the Spirit to help us to speak intelligible words. You know, I think there's a whole lot of unbelievers that would like to come to church. And they'd like to come to church just to listen, just to find out. But a lot of them are afraid to come. You know why? They're afraid that we're going to ask them to, to walk an aisle or something. I talk to a lot of unbelievers. They're really afraid about that. You see, they, they do gather with other believers and the Holy Spirit puts them under conviction. But rather than it becoming a one-on-one, -on -one, Jesus and me, and I need to do business with him, they get it all confused because they're saying, Jesus, I really would like to receive you, but I don't want to embarrass myself before whatever it is, several hundred people. So 
I just sit here. Now that's a terrible confusion. You ever stop and think about how terrible that confusion is? Someone's saying, well, I, I would like to receive Jesus, but I would be embarrassed to stand up and make a skeptical of myself before a lot of people. Well, I've never read anywhere in the Bible that someone that believed in Jesus needed to, to stand up and do anything. You know, I think the Lord's going to lead them later on to publicly confess it in baptism, you know, but that'll be after Christ comes into their life. But this one-on-one -on -one business with God about depending upon him is a heart matter. And we're going to talk more about that. I wonder if unbelievers really feel at home in our group. And I think we need to work on that. I think we need to help one another with that. And we need to think of creative ways as a church family to bring unbelievers to spend some time with us, to be inquirers, to be listeners. The Apostle Paul is saying that we need to be very careful not to become barbarians one another by speaking a language which is unintelligible. We close by pointing out that one of the major reasons we should gather together is not to just give thanks individually to God, but to give thanks as a group. Paul closes this text by saying this. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Then it would equal prophecy. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen? So be it. I believe that too. You're right, brother. You're right, sister. That's the idea. To your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying. He doesn't even know when to say amen. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not strengthened. He's not built up. Now, Paul was no sour grape. He says, listen, Corinthians, I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's a good gift privately, Paul is saying. I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, in the gathered community of the saints, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than one ten thousand words, or the highest number you can imagine in Greek, in an unknown language. Now, what is Paul saying? He gives us a lot of insight into what tongues was in the first century. And this can give us instruction in our lives today. Paul talks about a, a private experience where an individual spiritually is able to commune with God, but it's not intelligible in their own mind. In other words, if you think of the human personality being the body, your physical body, and then your personality with intellect, emotion, and will, and then a third area, the spiritual area, which is that openness to relationship with God, which is not intellectual necessarily, it's not emotional necessarily, it's really beyond all that. It's really entering into a, a whole wavelength that's beyond us in a lot of ways. In fact, when we go home to be with the Lord, I think that spiritual area will be the ultimate reality. But here in this earth, we're earthbound. We're body-bound. We're this side-bound. But there's a tremendous yearning to get into that spiritual world. You've seen a lot of, of teaching about this desire to get out of the mind and to just meditate. You'll see athletes. In fact, I read an article about a, 
a whole group of athletes that go and they, they meet with, uh, with a Hindu, a Hindu teacher. And they go there to find peace in their souls. And the Hindu way of finding peace with your soul is to become one with the great beyond. It's to get out of yourself. It's to get out of your personality. And you become amalgamated into the great nothing. Now that's relaxing. You talk about an escape. That's the ultimate escape. In Hinduism, it's an illegitimate escape because you went through the wrong door because you didn't go through Christ. But it's a very prominent element in religion today. In fact, a lot of moderns would hold that's the prominent element in religion. For you to be able to close your eyes and get every muscle relaxed and to be able to just drift off into nothingness. And by the way, that'll really exhilarate you. It will bring great quietness in your life. It'll do unbelievable things for you. But beware. Beware, because if you have an illegitimate spiritual experience, you might end up face to face with the dark side, with the kingdom of evil, with the adversary, the devil. As a pastor, I warn you about that. Now, tongues was an experience where a person in their spirit gave thanksgiving to God, gave praise to God, only intellectually they didn't understand what they were saying. Paul is saying privately that was a very good thing. But he's saying among the community of believers, when we're gathered together, it was very, very important to keep all of our personality together and to keep a real unity and to keep our eyes focused on one another. And I want to close by this. I've had a lot of you down through the years saying, Dave, I need peace. I need rest. I never feel right. I never feel totally, you know, at ease in my life. And I want to share with you, I don't either. There's a great yearning in my life. I can't totally see it. I never can totally sing to God without having any, any other focuses. Nothing else in the background. I can never just give total thanks to God. I never have a total understanding of all that God is. You say, Dave, how can you ever say that? You're supposed to be our leader. What are you telling us that? What I'm telling you is I still live on planet Earth. I still live right here. And you see, there are times when you're all by yourself. And I've been like way up in the mountains, up in the Adirondacks, where there's no lights for 200 miles. And you look up, and you're, it's in the middle of the night, and you look up out of your sleeping bag, and there it is. And you just feel like God is just all around you, and he's overwhelming you. And that's a great experience, and that's a legitimate experience. It's as Psalms say, the heavens declare the wonders of God. And what a thrill it is to not even give words to your thanks, not even give intelligible expression, but just from the depths of your spirit being to be one with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a great thing. But in this life, it's never, never complete. You know what Paul is saying in this chapter? Paul is saying, is you want to really find God? You want to really find the kind of growth that God wants for you? 
You want to really have that relationship that God wants for you. You know what he says in this chapter? An amazing thing. You're going to find Jesus by rubbing shoulders and getting involved and sharing in the life of the people sitting around you. What do you think about that? All different things, don't you? I want to share with you, as I look around this room, I see messages of Jesus. I see the fleshed-out presence of Jesus. You see, in his body, he's at the right hand of God right now. On the earth, he dwells in his people who by faith in Christ. You see, like when John died, it was when a lot of you walked in the door. Jesus didn't hug me, didn't hug Mary. You did. And Jesus did. And I saw him. When Mary had her foot operated on, and maybe I'm going through a whole series of counseling. Maybe I'm working with some people that I, I can't even make the gospel clear to them. And they're coming from a totally different category. And I'm wondering, man, how in the world do I get this biblical message to really relate? You know, how do we get it to work in the modern world? And one after another of you come in and bring meals and just stop and share and express love in a million different ways you say we are a group of people that are thankful because the Lord used your gift to build us up and you've shared your life and we want to share ours and I find Jesus I find the Christ and it's one of the greatest confidences because time and time I come back to that, in times of doubt I come back and Jesus says, but I'm showing you that I'm working the miracle. And that's what Paul is saying, that we find strength, we find spiritual life by sharing in the body life of the community of believers, the imperfections as well as the perfections. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians, Corinthians, you really have individual spiritual hides. And I have more than any of the rest of you, but that's not really where it's at. Where it's really at is getting together and living your life in a community, in a family, in a body. And what that means when we have trouble we have brothers and sisters. We're in this together. And oh, I, I think we need to just make it our prayer that the Lord will create that kind of mutual strengthening again and again and again. And he closes with this saying, I want to sing with my spirit, but I want to sing with my mind. I want to give thanks with my spirit, but I want to give thanks with my mind. And I want to close by saying, you know, maybe, maybe one of the things that you need to do on a Sunday morning is just come to sing. We don't understand how powerful thanksgiving singing is. 
We know how important the teaching of the Word is. I think we really honor the teaching of the Word. But I think that we need to learn the giving of thanks through music and sharing together. And I would encourage you to do that. There's, you know, one of the closest things that we can do to build one another up is to give thanks to God through song. And sometimes I've found that sometimes in the most irrational times, when I don't feel like giving thanks at all and things are not going well, it doesn't seem like I should, I should give thanks, just to stop and sing with a group of believers and praise God with my mind and with my heart. It starts to strengthen me again. It starts to build me up. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Paul, and I thank you for the powerful way that your spirit used him. I just close by thanking you so much for the freedom that comes as we just open our hearts and our minds and our wills to hear your word. And I would pray that everyone listening would be doing that, that we would never make it a confrontation between a teacher and ourselves, but that all of us would listen to your voice. And I pray that I would do that. Teach this precious body that represents the gift of your son, all that you want us to learn from 1 Corinthians 14. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.